Um, my name is Melanie Hester, and I am the Director of Discipleship Engagement at Awana. I don't know if Awana is familiar to any of you, but I would love to hear if it is. If it isn't, I just like to gauge in the room, like, where are we at? Like, anybody familiar with Awana? Yeah? Okay. I see a few nods. I see a few people like blink, like staring blank me, which means they're either saying like, I don't know, maybe, probably not. Um, let me give you a little bit of context for those who don't know what Awana is. Um, Awana is the global leader in child discipleship. We have, um, we started in 1950 by a man named Art Warheim and Lance Latham. And together they looked at their community in Chicago and they saw these kids and said, what would be the best way for us to help connect them in safety in helping them to know about scripture and collect, like bringing them into the church. And so at the time they formed what most of you are probably most familiar with, which is our, our classic club program. And that looked like kids all the way, and it wound up developing through the age of 18 as it went on historically. But that looked like kids coming into the church for a time of like just games, for a time of memorizing scripture together, and then for a lesson that's brought by, the, by a, a leader or whomever might have been in the church at the time, right? And so what once, was this little just church in Chicago connecting with kids in their community, helping to keep them off of the streets, has since turned to Awana just celebrated reaching 5 million kids a week. And this is not something that we say with anything that resembles pride, but the way that God can take something and say, I will multiply it, y'all just be faithful. Because if there's anything I like to say about Awana is that we've had our fair share of things that should have caused us to no longer be here. Decisions in what it looks like for us to lead, connections with um, trying to expand globally, and yet the Lord has been with us all along the way and his faithfulness have led us to over 134 different countries where kids are being discipled all over in places that are protected to places here in the U.S. that look like your next door neighbor or maybe even your own kids. And so with that rich history that Awana has, we have since expanded to not only serve the church through that classic club model program where it's connecting them through to scripture, memorization, a place where kids can come and feel like they can belong, connected, and in a really fun environment, learn God's word. We've also been able to expand and connect the church to a weekend curriculum called Bright, but then more, which is the team that I lead as well, it's this connection to the global church to discipleship resources. And that looks like looking at today's culture. Does anybody ever look at today's culture and be like, where am I? What, what happened? I don't feel, this isn't familiar. I don't understand where I'm at. That is a collective feeling for many, many people. And so um, while we have this rich history, the Lord's given us the ability to start asking some really particular questions. And what we're here to talk about today is that first question we started asking about a decade ago, which is, is what we're doing working? It's a good sign. It's a good sign, y'all. Um, is what we're doing working? And I just want that to settle with y'all for just a second. Think about your children's ministries. Think about your churches. Think about those kids that come every single week and genuinely ask, this is just reflectively, is what we're doing working? 
And today we're going to walk through, I'm going to give you a second to think about that while my computer um, decides to be the thorn in my side today. Um, uh, is what we're doing leading to a fruitful discipleship opportunity for kids to know and experience God? Our president and CEO, Matt Markins, um, has taken the last 10 years and done significant amount of research in children's ministry to answer this question. And the first thing that we've established as this research has started coming out, and then I'm gonna log in for a second, is um, asking and walking through, as children's ministry is where we've been going to be where we go. And so in asking this question, is what we're doing working? It requires a place where we say, hey, we honor the past because what was then was critical for then. We do not defame it. We do not talk negatively towards it because it was important and it was culturally appropriate. But where we're headed is not necessarily what that continues to look like. You might identify yourself on this list, okay? If you do, um, just kind of look at the year that you were born. <clears throat> There's a lot of talk about how we like basically bring the generations together. So if any of you that are like, don't put me in a box, we have room for that, okay? That's no problem. But if you're a boomer, you were probably born between 1946 to 1964. Xers are 1965 to 1980. Millennials, 1981 to 1996. I fall into that category. And Gen Z, 1997 to 2012. And so today we're gonna be talking about that position that I just mentioned, which is, is what we're doing working and is what we've been doing going to be what we do for the future? And we're gonna talk about it in this metaphor of maps. Okay, so we're gonna go back for a second. Does anyone remember this? All right, this is an old Rand McNally map. Okay, okay. I will tell you right now. Yes, right? Just when you don't have your Rand McNally is when you don't have Wi-Fi, your signal's down, and you're like, where am I, right? My husband and I, we take our three kids and we love to do road trips. And so one of the values that we have is that we're like, our kids have to learn how to use maps. So we'll take them to the local AAA, we'll go pick up whichever maps of wherever direction we're going. And it's really this great time where they're like, you know, you're stretching out the map and you're like, kids, this map will never fold the way it just was, right? It will never go back to what it looked like because these maps were giant, okay? So we, let's shift from the road map to then a Garmin. Anybody ever have a Garmin or GPS of some sort, right? And as long as these Garmins, their software was updated and you had the right power connection to your car and then also like they, they did a decent job. They got you where you needed to go. Now, my generation of millennials, we were kind of in that gap where technology had come out, we had cell phones, but my cell phone was not capable of any sort of like map following. And so I absolutely printed out MapQuest, right? <laughs> and I would be like, before I went anywhere, get at my computer, I would type in the address that I was going, it would print me out step by step. And, um, you know, a fun kind of story, I, I, my husband and I run sports camps across the country for kids. 
and we would have teams where they would go and this was probably a decade ago okay so like technology was definitely not what it was today no I'm sorry I'm dating myself two decades ago so we would have to build these binders out for all the churches that they were going to go run sports camps at and it was literally a map quest page from the address of the church that they were at to the address of the church they were going for seven weeks of summer and so imagine this giant binder that they had as they were traveling through the summer of these papers, <laughs> right? Our president's like, if you wanted to use this method, you kind of needed a file, ca file cabinet in your trunk, right? And so then we're here, right? Digital disruption entered in where the iPhone came into the existence. And all of a sudden, we have, oh, really? Okay, we have this space where the, um, the cell phone, the iPhone is a map in the back of our pocket everywhere that we go. And so at Awana, we began looking at this and saying, as children's ministry leaders, if you were to historically look at the map of what children's ministry is, or the map of what children's ministry was, are we following old maps? Are we using MapQuest when we have a tool in our pocket that actually is different for today's child? And let me say here, what we quickly found is that was not based in technology. That was based in identifying where children are today and how they're different from where they were yesterday. And we wouldn't look at the maps of yesterday and tell the map makers, wow, you guys were so stupid. You had no idea. We would celebrate where they were at and how those maps were groundbreaking for that day. But we would also say to teachers who were trying to teach the old map, are you insane? Like we have updated like topography of our world. We can't be teaching these things. And so Awana sat in this place where we identified that we are using old maps in children's ministry. And so with the fact that I have nine minutes left, in this oh okay thank you that's why there was a moment of panic that i was like thank you i was like i am on turbo mode now y'all okay i am in my first 10 minutes i have until 10 right thank you they start at 10 Absolutely. So I'll wrap up at like 9.50. Thank you. Okay. So one of the things that we're going to identify today on the map of children's ministry is that we are going to have cities, main cities, that we've lived in to define our discipleship strategies. And we're going to talk about what those cities might look like in this new map of children's ministry. So again, like I mentioned earlier, the first thing that we're going to acknowledge is that these cities were hugely influential. Okay, they marked everything that we did as we brought children into the church to disciple them. We are going to talk about how we have more insight now than we did then. We are going to be kind and gracious to the fact that what we knew then was best, but what we now, now like, creates an opportunity for us to adjust and potentially move forward. And then lastly, we're going to ask ourselves, are the cities that we've been living in the same cities that we need to live in in the future? So as we look at the first city that we've lived in for children's ministry, uh, imagine the world if it didn't have a major city. Okay, so let's just 
Use New York City for an example. New York City and its existence has hugely impacted the entire world, industry, in trade, in the way that like trends have come about, right? And so the first city that we're looking at is this city of church growth and entertainment. And this is a place where we have sat as just a collective children's ministry, whether you are a part of the Free Will Baptist, whether you are part of Independent Southern Baptist, regardless of the denomination, we have sat in this place of church growth and entertainment. Now there's various church models, and some of you might see this on the screen, and you could potentially identify one that you've been involved in. There's the teaching model, attractional model, missional, house, and formational. All right, and so the two that we're talking specifically about today is the attractional model of church and the formational, which is disciple making. Okay, so continuing on, our team began to process through this. Okay, so if we've been, if we've been living in this church growth model, this entertainment model, how would we define that? So we defined it as the church growth movement is the stewardship of knowledge and wisdom to grow the church through attractionalism, marked by emphasis on evangelism, missions, practical ministries, and numerical growth. Now I'm going to stop and kind of call out the elephant in the room. You guys might be saying like, hold on, our church is not attractional based. Like we're not a mega church. We have not created systems where it's all we're looking for is for you to come in the church and then we'll just kind of stagnant sit there, right? And I hear you. But one of the things that we mark it by is when we measure our ministries by numerical growth. And we have all been there. We are going to host this event so that we get more families into the church. There's nothing wrong with that, except that it is identifying and measuring by numerical growth, which is the reason why that we identify this as a church growth movement, right? But unfortunately, the church growth movement has been like interlocked with this idea of entertainment. And the reason why is that it's the easiest way to get people through the door. Let's be honest, right? Like to get them through the door, let's be engaging and fun and exciting. And then once they're there, we'll keep them. And then we can continue to grow. And so this, this became this really just tightly connected circle where if we want to grow, we need to connect in the ways that we can better entertain them and bring them into the church. So before I move to the relevance piece, like, there's an interesting piece of data that I forgot to mention that Awana has found in a research study that we did recently, um, partnered with an organization named Barna, if you know who they are, and it's called Children's Ministry in a New Reality. And there's also another research project that we've done where we asked leaders, like, according to your priorities, rate what your priorities are. And these are children's ministry leaders all across the country. Tell us what your priorities are, and then tell us how well you think you're doing at them. All right. And so what that's done is it allowed us to understand what we're calling a gap analysis, which is where we talk about what we prioritize and then how we fall in actually successfully meeting that priority. Of all of the things that we heard back from leaders that said that was their priorities, the only one that they overperformed in, which means that they were doing better than their than they thought that they would be, they were, do, they were meeting what they wanted to, was fun. 
that their ministries were more than fun in the way that they wanted to connect with kids. They were overperforming. They were like, we're nailing that. And yet in all of the other ones, like discipleship, engaging them in the word, connecting with a solid volunteer team, having each child connected to a loving, caring adult, they were consistently underperforming by almost like a 1.3 percentage gap. And yet fun was the one that they weren't. They were doing really well. So this is just that, pre like that premise of this is why we identify that children's ministry probably in the 80s and 90s, found itself becoming a growing industry. And if you were to walk around and hear me out, this, I, this idea of attracting kids in is in, at its core, it's beautiful. We want to disciple kids. But when you walk around, like let's say a convention center that you have walked through, I challenge you to go down and identify, like count out, how many are catered towards the fun, engaging entertainment of the church, specifically children's ministry, and how many of them are actually specific discipleship tools. And what we have found when we've walked through other conferences, not the one that we're currently at, they're, they're, they're really like three to one. Three entertainment to one resource discipleship tool. So the second place we found ourselves was in this city of relevance. All right, we've got growth model, we've got attractional model, and then all of a sudden we found as a culture that it was like, hey, if we want people to engage with us, we want them to know that like, man, we got you, we're here with you. And not only do you find us relevant to engaging and having fun, but also you kind of connect it to being cool too. And so in the city of relevance, we have, like, this was a joke that I totally just missed. If any of you are sitting there and saying, like, hey, I don't know how to be relevant, our, 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 as a team, we talk about, hey, like, if you don't know how to be relevant, let's not forget that, like, mom jeans are back, okay? <laughs> so, like, mom jeans can come back, y'all are good. You're going to be fine, okay? So, as we connect, what is the definition of relevance? Relevance is the quality or state of being closely connected or appropriate. It's you and I connecting with one another and saying, you're like, you've got it going on. Like you're connected. You're on top of the trends. I trust you because you're reflecting the area around you in a way that I can relate to, right? And so as we as a church continue to walk through relevance, what is the thing that has marked our children's ministry? What's the most relevant thing that people have built themselves on? It's looking at, okay, what do kids connect with? Disney. And so we're going to go and we're going to try to make ourselves feel as relevant as we can for the children that are coming into our churches. I don't know about you, but I have heard numerous churches who bring in consultants that have worked with Disney to recreate their children's ministries. And I'm telling you, these places are incredible. They're beautiful. But we sit there and ask, like, is this the pathway to discipleship? Now, let me put a marker in the sand here where this is a shifting place because I want it to be heard that having an appropriate welcoming environment for children is critical to discipleship. But when we think that we have to create an environment that rivals the entertainment industry of Disney, we've already begun to lose because we can't stand up to that standard. The church cannot sit there. It's exhausting.
And quite frankly, it's unsustainable because the church was not meant to connect in that kind of capacity. If we equate our discipleship relationship with Jesus to entertainment, we're actually presenting an opportunity totally missed. It's not discipleship. So the city of relevance is a place we've all seen. We can probably identify churches in our area that might have been in that area. The third city that we've talked about in the old map of children's ministry is what we call the Bible light strategy. And the Bible light strategy says like, all right, so we want to convey the morals of the Bible. We want to convey all the really good things about the Bible. Jesus was a kind and loving man. We want people to know that. And so it emphasizes values, morals, or character from the Bible in a way that's unrooted from the gospel. It is not necessarily inaccurate. You'll hear them say like, yes, Jesus was a kind and loving man. You're right. He was also God. There were also like pieces of this that are rooted in scripture and the gospel that tend to get glossed over. And so it is not necessarily inaccurate, but it is incomplete. And that is what we kind of sit in what's called nuance, right? Where nuance is just this perspective that while it's not in, inaccurate, it is incomplete. And I think all of us could sit in, in the world we live in in 2023, and there's an immense amount of nuance everywhere that we turn, right? Where we see a perspective and we're like, sure, but also let's flesh that out a little bit. The piece that we have found in the Bible light strategy as we've done this research is that the problem with it is that good character is not the goal of being a Christian, right? Good character is actually a byproduct of what it looks like to live a life surrendered to Christ. And so we if we work in that Bible light strategy, we're actually presenting a level of discipleship to our children that says, just do the best that you can. And I'm pretty sure that workspace salvation is covered in Ephesians, <laughs> right? Where it talks about like, it's by grace. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation in the presence of God. And so when we create good character morals, kids wind up living this life that's like, all right, well, if I just do my best, and I just love the people around me as best as I can, and I'm kind to them, and I'm honest as best as I can, we've actually created a faith where the child becomes centric to determining how they live out that faith versus what it looks like to come underneath an all-loving and powerful God who transforms us from the inside out. And good character is the result of that transformation. And so a couple of things we've did, we saw as a team is that churches can fall into a variety of different categories. And this grid will help you kind of see that. We, we want churches. We believe that biblical churches are going to fall into an area where they have a high view of scripture and they have a high teaching of the gospel. But often what we find in this category is that people who have a high view of scripture, but they sit in this value teaching kind of area, it winds up being legalism and moralism, right? Where it's like, we have a high view of scripture. We're going to tell you that this is what you do and this is how you behave. And then all of a sudden the child is like, okay, I will do this and I will do this and I will do this. And it's completely lacking of relationship, right? The other option that we have here is that we have a low view of scripture with a values-based 
um, just teaching that we live in, and we get moralistic therapeutic deism, where a fancy way to say that is simply that it's like, I can, I see that, I'll take the values from there, but it begins to remove God from the entire conversation. And the, the morals wind up being more important than the story of the gospel and the power that it has in our redemption. And so as we sit and we identify in the bible light strategy, if we put values before the cross, then we're creating that the main picture of what kids are working towards versus putting values behind the cross, again, where we were at, where it's a byproduct of our relationship with Christ, then we're able to be, we're finding kids rooted in the gospel and walking in faith with Christ. So here, Awana has worked with the president of Barna. Um, his name is David Kinneman. And we've done a number of these research projects together. And David Kinneman is quoted as having said, the church is woefully unprepared for Gen Z. Now, before we sit in Gen Z being the kids in our children's ministries, that's not true. Gen Z is in college. In fact, we have some Gen Z sitting in the room with us today. Like they are fully functioning adults. And we're finding that Gen Z, they have a stat that went out that only 11% in the book, um, um, Digital Babylon, um, the book written by Mark, um, I'm just totally blank, David Kinneman, um, and another gentleman that went worked together, Mark Matlock, thank you for my stumbling there. Um, they wrote a book that talked about how only 11% of Gen Z are sitting in a place where they are identifying themselves as resilient disciples, which are a group of people who are believing in the integrity and the faithfulness of the word of God and that are following after him on a daily basis. 11% of them. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have a generation of, of Gen Z who are wanting to follow Christ. But what we are saying is if the church is woefully unprepared, these are our college students, these are like we have Gen Z already getting married. We have to start asking ourselves, that didn't just happen. That's come out of a period of time. What happened? And that's just full circle. How Awana got to where we're at today is asking that question. How did we get here? And so we're going to take a break here for a second because this is where we're going to shift into this space where we've talked about the old maps and we're going to shift into, so then what is the new map of children's ministry? And I'll pause for a second to identify that in all of this research, Awana has found this framework, this paradigm that we call the three B's. And the three B's are belong, believe, become. And research, and again, there's plenty of it. I can connect to you, it to you after this. Research has shown that when you help a child belong and help them feel known, help them feel seen, then that is then the place where they can come to believe, where they can see the power of Christ, the connection where Jesus was from the beginning of the Bible to the very end in Revelation. And then they can then work at saying through the power of the Holy Spirit, I will become more like Christ. And it's these three pieces that our children's ministries can begin to create this framework of how are we helping our kids belong? How are we helping them know that they belong here? How are we helping them believe? And how are we helping them become? And so shifting into this conversation, 
We, um, Darren White has, it is, is a pastor in Nashville and he's quoted as saying, we must begin with the assumption that our children are being overly exposed with worldly discipleship and underexposed with biblical discipleship. And essentially that is based off the question or the statement moreover of our children are being discipled by something. We just have to figure out what that is. Are we actually discipling them in the ways of Jesus? Or is technology discipling them? Is the culture discipling them? Is what they're experiencing in their everyday life the thing that's actually discipling them? And so in this new map of children's ministry, just as we had three cities um, where we sat in in the past, where we've had um, the church growth model and entertainment, we've had relevance, and we've had the Bible light strategy, in the new map, we identify three cities as well. And the first city is identifying, again, like the first one with church growth, and it's a twin city, where we talk about it's this faithfulness in lasting faith, where in kind of a nutshell, we're letting the kids know, hey guys, this is about the long game here. This isn't about just capturing you for this Sunday. This is about helping you to become a resilient disciple who follows after Jesus with their whole heart. And so we have identified that lasting faith, when it's paired with just everyday faithfulness, it is, should be the primary motivation of children's ministry. Let's remove the church growth model. Let's remove the whole entertainment piece. And let's just right-size them. It's not that they can't be there. Like, friends, of course we want to see our churches grow. But it shouldn't be the main motivation of everything that we do. And I understand I hear you saying, but yes, we're supposed to build a kingdom and we're supposed to make, make disciples. And my question is, yeah, we are supposed to do that. But if all we're ever focused on is church growth, are we actually discipling them? And so when we shift our motivation to saying that actually we're motivated to do these things because we want to build lasting faith in our kids, then, I mean, let's be honest. If we begin to create that environment where lasting faith is our motivation, don't you think that our numbers are going to grow? Like this isn't a mutually exclusive thing. It's just right-sizing these priorities. When we shift towards lasting faith and that being paired with faithfulness, we will then see everything kind of shift in our priorities. And so again, as our team began to discover, so this, it's, it's really easy to say in theory, let's shift towards lasting faith. That's what we want to do, right? So we went and asked the question, sorry, what is it that leads to lasting faith in kids? What factors form those kids? One of the things that Awana has an incredible blessing is that we have a history from 1950 of kids who have been a part of our programs where we're able to go back and ask, like, are you currently walking as a disciple of Jesus? How many times do you in, like, engage in your Bible? What does that look like? And so we've been able to capitalize on that for the last 72 years of connecting with this impact and personal stories. And they're not all following Jesus. Let's be very clear, right? Like we're hearing heartbreaking stories of people who are saying like, no, I've, I've chosen not to continue. And we ask why, and we kind of dig into that, um, if appropriate, that area with them, right? 
Um, and so the, we've been informed by that particular study we did. We've also been informed by nine various research projects that we personally have commissioned with various research firms. So it's not just projects that we're kind of throwing out there. They are done by research firms so that we are able to have good quality data, right? And then we've also, like, we can't, like, if we were to just sit in what we know, again, let's talk about nuance, it would be, sure, yeah, that's true, but also there's so much more. And so that's why we've partnered with so many various organizations like Lifeway, the Fuller Youth Institute. Um, Christian Smith has written an awesome book on handing down the faith, what it talks about, how, what it looks like to hand down the faith with various different um, faiths. And it's a fascinating, super nerdy, but amazing book if you're into data. Um, and then also the Barna Group and so many others. And so as we began to identify what these factors are, we saw that the identity of a child is impacted by that 3B structure that we talked about. If you help a child know that they belong, and then we help them connect to what it looks like to believe in the power of the cross and what Jesus did for our salvation, then comes in that third piece of them being able to become more like Christ. And so we created a definition of what it looks like, of what child discipleship is. And it's, it's designed to form lasting faith by helping kids belong to God and his kingdom, believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and become like Jesus and walk in his ways through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we then say, okay, if we're shifting our children's ministries to be, to be motivated by lasting faith, then everything that we do should filter through this definition of helping kids belong to God, believe in Jesus Christ, and become more like him. Because in reality, is this not what our days look like? Like, this is, okay, so like, it's this giant list of all these words, and there are things we do. How many of us are in the middle of VBS season right now, right? It's the middle, it's towards the end of July. We've got Sunday school, we've got youth groups, we've got like staff and volunteer training, and my favorite is at the bottom, like just the seemingly endless number of specials, just the things, right, that just fill our days. And quite frankly, we find that this is the framework in how we shape the work that we do. And to what outcome? Growth. So it's shifting this narrative to saying, instead of feeling like we have this endless task of things to do, we have to identify what it looks like for us to reshape our time. And we've done a significant amount of study, again, in this report that we did um, with a group called Five by Five. It was talking, it asked children's ministry leaders, well, how do you spend your time? And so what they did was they identified their priorities and then they identified what they did on a daily basis. And their priorities were equipping parents, it was discipling kids, and it was um, building volunteer teams. And let me, let me just, just give me a guess of what you thought were the three bottom ways that they actually spent their time. It was the three things that they declared were most important, which was discipleship, equipping parents, and leading their volunteer teams and training them. And so we found that as leaders, there's a point where we have to shift. 
And we have to say that if my priority is to disciple kids, then my daily schedule has to reflect that. And I have to be able to carve out time to prioritize that discipleship. All right, so the second city is the city of community. And um, if you've not read the Harvard study um, on just the developing child, again, super data-driven, but really fascinating work came out of it. And this quote is, no matter the source of hardship, the single most common factor for children who end up doing well is that they have the support of at least one stable and committed relationship with a parent, caregiver, or other adult. All right, so let me take that and boil that down for children's ministry. What that means is the children in your ministries have just one person who cares about them in a healthy and loving way. That could be their parent, but it also looks like you, the leaders, who are faithfully every single week coming alongside and saying, I am so glad you're here. Let's learn about Jesus together. And just the impact of that one adult significantly increases their ability to have a holistic and just a life that helps them to be able to handle what's going to be thrown at them. All right, and so we coined that at Awana as a loving, caring adult. All of our children, like, and if we wanted to start tracking, are we helping our kids have lasting faith? The first question you should ask is, do every, does every child in my ministry have a loving, caring adult? And if they don't, how do we as a church help them to have that? What does it look like for them to have somebody in their life that loves and knows them and walks through life with them? And so, um, again, another research project, if you have not dug into, is one that you should. It's um, Mental Health and Gen Z. Again, these are, what I find fascinating about this is that these are all, these two, the last one, the, the Harvard study and this one, um, they're not necessarily Christian studies. And the data that are coming out of them that helps us to understand the church is just mind-blowing. And it's so apropos for where we're at. And so they talk about the belongingness process, which is where a child moves from being noticed to the named to known. And so I challenge us to think about that for a half a second here. In our children's ministries, what is that process for the kids that come? What is the process from them being noticed, where we've all done it, where it's like, oh, hey, you were here for the first time last week. You're here again. I'm so glad you're here, right? That's totally that first part of noticing. To second, to being named. They walk through that door and you're looking at him in the eye and you're like, hey, Josiah, I am so glad that you're here today. To then identifying that they are known, where you're connected to whatever their guardian or parents look like, where you are known in their life. So <clears throat> we, all of this is also supported by this study that we at Awana have done called Children's Ministry in a New Reality, where we really dug into building communities with lasting faith. Um, that is on awana.org. You can check that out if you want to. But that's a fascinating report on studying of how we build our children's ministry to create communities with kids towards lasting faith. So the last study that we're going to walk through is gospel and scripture engagement. And this piece here is where we identify that our kids are being, we talked about they're being discipled by something, right? And so if we don't intentionally disciple them with biblical truth and the scriptures, they will be formed by the culture. 
because they have at their disposal every single day, they have all of these ways of thinking, naturalism, secularism, hedonism, um, post-Christendom, and all of these lead to this idea of hyper-individualism, where the child experiences the world in whatever way they want to. And that leads to destruction. We all know that because we can go back to scripture where Adam and Eve chose to live a life that was all about what they could define and right here we are. And yet God intervened. And so when we form children with the gospel, we are helping them understand this framework of what creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration is. And everything that we do is helping them to understand their place and that there is a God who created and loved you. You were thought of before time. You don't get to like identify because you are known. God knew your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he knew before you were born that you were going to present him in a way that no one else can. And infusing them then. But God also redeemed you and restored you. And what that looks like in eternity. So that comes when we consistently engage kids with the Bible. And so as we look at this new map and we talk about our primary investment being in children, the most vulnerable of our communities, right? Then we have to identify that if we prioritize protecting and entertaining them, we will most likely build a community that is safe but fragile. Now, let me also put a very strong marker in concrete that our children must be protected, okay? They must be in an environment where they are safe. And it's important we create that. However, if that is our main and top priority, then we're not engaging them in Bible, um, just scripture, walking through what it looks like for them to be a follower of Jesus. And so we believe that if our primary investment is in the most vulnerable and we want to protect and form them, then we actually become craftsmen in this idea that we are shaping a generation whose inner spiritual resilience is so compelling that the future communities are going to gasp at their brilliance. And it's not because of anything that we've done, but because again, that twin study of faithfulness, where we every single day faithfully lead them to Jesus. Because when they become more like that, like him, they will shine as lights in the darkness, right? So I'm going to pause because I think there's a place here where I want to identify that our children's ministries are often a, a, an underfunded, um, uh, lacking in volunteers, and often unsupported by senior leadership in our church. And I just want to call that out. It's not everywhere, but it is often a place where we try to say like, hey, I'm just doing the very best that I can. And if that is you here today, what I don't want you to hear is that you're not doing enough because that is simply not true. What I challenge you with is to just ask the question, is what I'm doing working? because it might just be a simple shift that you're able to see that if this event is simply for me to be able to say that we had 30 new families come, then perhaps that event needs just a simple shift to ask, how is this event going to help these children and families 
know, love, and serve Jesus in a way that they didn't before they came. And that's where then we shift and say, we are disciple makers. We are, we are child disciple makers. And it's, we're not a children's ministry. We are here to engage children in the gospel as disciples of Jesus.